0: Welcome back to season two of the Protectors. Great guest today, Alden Mills, former SEAL, um, absolutely incredible background, patents, inventor. Uh, 500 companies i mean if you've seen it out there he's probably had his footprint somewhere involved with it because there's always a leadership aspect to everything that happens you could always learn from it. that is one thing that alden does is he gets out there he gets to it and he gives out lessons learned let's bring him in how's it going
1: hey jason it's an honor to be here i love what you're doing with the protectors
0: Hey, thanks. We were just uh, chatting briefly before this about how we're dealing with the the Corona quarantine right now and the concept of being confined with your children for massive amounts of time. How are you dealing with that? Well,
1: I often remind them,
0: having spent a
1: lot of time on submarines, look, it could be a lot worse. We could be in the submarine. So suck it up, buttercup. We're going to be just fine here.
0: You know, I never thought about that concept, (laughs) submarine a navy ship. I'm talking to a Navy SEAL. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting times for sure. And you know what? It's almost like when you when you deploy and you're kind of stuck on a fob or you're stuck somewhere out in a uh, forward uh, forward operating base or a camp or anything, Mm -hmm. and you can't leave. And you know, your whole concept of life is just when's the next meal? When can I get a workout in?
1: That's right. (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, you just have to create those routines. And uh, recently, I had created an acronym, you know, the military, how much we love acronyms. And the kids were having a really hard time. Um, I'd say the older ones were along with some of our friends. And so I created this thing called remote, which was really about just establishing structure. Because you know, when you get stuck in uncertainty, which is just that's a crisis, right? You go from certainty to uncertainty very quickly. It's all about creating structure that can bring some certainty back to things. So that's what we spend a fair amount of time in our family dealing with.
0: You definitely need structure. You definitely need to have some sort of plan for the day. Because if not, you're just going to fall into a bad routine. And the next thing you know, your mental health is pretty much shot because you're just reacting to everything. How do you keep positive during this? I mean you've, you're a very motivated person but how do you, you know what i should say is how do you keep your family positive during this
1: i, I really first thing you just said actually one thing that ice we do every single day on a large grease board or dry erase board is the plan of the day right the military runs on the plan of the day and so the night before we'll take the grease board out And I'll write out, like, okay, 0800, we're having breakfast. 0900, schoolwork starts, dad's going into work. And, you know, work may only be five paces away from where the schoolwork is. But Mm -hmm. first thing is just getting them to see some structure, right? The next thing is once you have that structure is get them to see a little progress. One of the things that I spend a fair amount of time, and I've got four boys, ages 10 to 16, is we start working out together right and the first 30 days of working out is always the hardest because you are putting forth effort but you're not seeing much in return and the only thing you might be feeling is soreness and when they start to see oh my gosh i I got there's some muscle here I, i got something that's actually working and they can then link their effort to actually seeing progress then things right then and there, positivity starts to kick in. The other element that we'll deal with with uh, trying to stay positive is it will play what I call the opposite game. And the opposite game is okay, so you think this is bad, let's play the opposite of this. What happens? And when you start to flip it, because remember, remember this for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction so in the case of this uncertainty right this world we're dealing with with the pandemic all right so there's a whole bunch of uncertainty but there's also equal amounts opportunity we just got to switch the filter and that's what i will do it's perspective you got to practice being positive and then play the opposite game
0: I like it. That's perfect. I like the idea of it, like a dry erase board, a grease board. It does bring me back to the military. And I think, it, I swear, it, every leadership concept, everything you could possibly imagine for the past decades and probably 100 years now always comes down to the old-fashioned MDMP, the military decision-making process, mm-hmm. the old OODA loops, and the um, the yeah. operations order. Every, I mean, your whole day could be a five-paragraph operations order. I'm not it sure if that's be. what they call it in the Navy, but… Yeah, it's a, it all comes down to old, the old fashioned military leadership concepts.
1: Well, I, you know, I had this. Uh, well, we've all had classic character instructors, but one of them in SEAL training, he had this deep Southern accent, and he'd go, "It ain't complicated. It's hard, but it ain't complicated." And when you talk about these basic tenets of the military. They're basic for a reason because Mm -hmm. they really do work. The hard part is just being consistent with it, right? Is practicing every day. All right, well, we got to do the plan of the day. Let's write it out. Here's what we're doing. And if you can tell them the night before, then their brains are starting to think about it. And by the way, it doesn't just apply to children. It applies to your coworkers, Mm -hmm. especially the coworkers that are isolated that are single, right? Those are the ones that have the hardest time. They're the ones in SEAL team. We call that you need a swim buddy. And a swim buddy is the smallest team in SEAL team. That's a pair. You know, whether it's your sniper pair and whatever team you're in, but it always comes down to having somebody that has your back. And a lot of times, especially during cases like this where we're all isolated, We need to have somebody that keeps us out of those demons of depression, because situational depression is a real thing. One of the biggest things they teach you when you go through POW training is the first thing they want to do, the enemy wants to isolate you. So we have to be on guard for that all the time. And if you know somebody that's isolated, be that swim buddy and reach out to them and do a little moral uh, fighting fiber check-in with them.
0: I'm glad you brought that up. That's one thing I always stress in this podcast and the, the vlog and everything is mental health, mental health awareness, and how that little block of darkness can come anywhere from, you know, it could be a few minutes or it could last a few days. But unless l- you have some sort of anchor, someone out there that you could reach out to, uh, sometimes that deep, dark, solo depression could really take hold of you until you just don't know what's going to happen next. I always tell everybody to kind of keep it grassroots. You don't always need a 1-800 number. If a 1-800 number is perfect for you, great, do it. But you always have a mobile device handy or something handy. Call, text, uh, go to Facebook groups. Anything you could do to kind of keep a foothold into your mental sanity.
1: I can't agree with that more, Jason. And anybody that's done anything downrange understands that the biggest demons we deal with aren't necessarily the ones that are across the firing line from us they're mm-hmm. the ones inside here and that's why we have a swim buddy that's why we reach out and have such dependency on our platoon mates our company mates you know what whatever variant of first responder you are they're all set up in at least in the United States to be dependent upon each other Uh, And by the way, much like what you're doing here, right? People that tune in for this, this is an extension of I've got your back mindset.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is my my source of therapy as well. I always tell people every time I have a guest on, every single time, it's almost like a therapy session for me. It's kind of a, a selfish thing, but I always learn something new from someone. And you know you're you're probably cut from the same mold. I could tell you are, is this constant like search for knowledge and to learn, but then also to push that on to other people. You are a master at building companies up, uh, patents, inventing, all sorts of great things. But it's not just a selfish thing. You're actually out there pushing out your lessons learned. How did you become? such a motivated factor in that arena hmm. if that makes sense good question jason
1: so i think it probably started when i was sent on my first long submarine mission and what ended up happening there there's there's there's, by the way there's going to be a couple of factors here but one of them was being stuck on submarines for a long period of time uh up to 50 days at a time and i knew that when i was going on these submarines that there was going to be a fair amount of downtime so one thing i did is like okay well i can just focus on the downtime and go this is going to suck and i'm going to be miserable the whole time or I can challenge myself to try and create or learn something new. So in this case, the first thing that I did to challenge myself was every day I had a little sketch pad and I would sketch out something new. It was a new invention, right? It didn't matter if it would actually work or not. I just Mm -hmm. wanted my brain to be like, okay, well, how could I make that product better? How could I make that product better? And then the other thing I did was I wanted to learn something new. And the thing that I wanted to learn is that I never had learned to type. Ironically, having gone to the Naval Academy, they didn't teach you how to type. We had to write reports every day and situation yeah. reports. And I sucked at typing. So I was like, all right, I'm going to learn. And I bought this crappy little laptop, Zenith laptop, and I bought this typing tutor. And the only thing I was going to do is like, okay, I'm going to learn to type 100 words per minute. And after 50 days i accomplished both of those things and the irony was that after 50 days i had 50 different ideas most of them were really bad but it had created a habit in my head that every time i would look at something like oh there could be a better way to do this oh we could do this what if we did this and then when you start looking at life going whoa wait a minute um I got to do this for 20 years, 30 years. And you'd look at some job when you were getting out of the military, I started going, well, why can't I just create my own thing? And as long as I stayed curious, and kept pushing the boundary of what if, I always found that there was another way to do something. And that joy became even more joyful, when you'd find somebody else, it's like, hey, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. And you would help them. Go beyond what they originally thought was possible, and and the other catalyst to all that, Jason, was there've been a lot of people in my life that pushed me when I didn't think I could go any further, and they helped me realize that limitations are all up here. We set our mm-hmm. own limits. We're the ones that limit ourselves, right?
0: Hey, you always have these swim buddies that are kind of uh, they're always in your life, even before the Navy. I'm sure. Uh, Same thing with me. It's not really a swim buddy. It's more like, you know, we have, you know, battle buddies, you know, I like how you, you come up with different concepts. I I write books and same, same as you and stuff. And I always bring this up. I always do mind maps. You know, I put my concept in the beginning and then I'm always mapping out where I want to go, where I want to be at the end of the day. The same thing I do when I prepare for an interview now, you know, I used to just ad hoc the interviews, go in and just be like, Hey, you know what? I, uh, I just want to talk and we'll see what happens. But you know, ever since I started speaking to a lot of people who have similar backgrounds and how they prepare for things, I can't just ad hoc it. This isn't an old fashioned interview and interrogation. I need to map out interviews. I need to do this this and that it's a regiment. And that's one thing I'm glad you brought that up with your family. You brought that up with your career. When you develop things, you're doing it for yourself in the way, because you got to keep your mind motivated. Uh, One thing I did want to bring up now is you have this awesome acronym and it's, you know, I've, I've been in a government for 20 something years now, and I've seen all sorts of leadership aspects. You know, I, we do the Lean Six Sigma now we've changed the acronym to uh, a Lean Management System. Uh, I've been doing that for tons of years now, but it always comes down to the employee and you have the care, connect, achieve, respect, and empower. And that has to deal with more focused on your team. Because if you're not focused on your team, nothing's going to work. Can you go into the care? Yeah. So that is basically the
1: meat of my second book, Unstoppable Teams. And it's really based off of a very simple premise that I think was very succinctly captured by Teddy Roosevelt over a hundred years ago when he said, nobody cares how much, you know, until they know how much you care. I don't know if he said it like that, but I always think of him kind of talking like that. And at the end of the day, if you think about what leadership is really all about, you have to look to push people beyond what they originally thought they were capable of doing. And the only way for them to make that transition and the transition I'm referring to is being selfish as in what's in it for me. Like, why should I put out that hard for this group of people that I don't really know if I can trust them or not? Well, for them to make that transition, they need to know that they're so cared for that they don't have to worry about their own backs. That the only thing they want to worry about is daring and going forward and to do that requires what i call is the care loop those four words connect achieve respect and power they actually go in a circle mm-hmm. and they go in a circle because when you connect with somebody it's about building trust and once you have enough trust then you can set a direction which is what achieving is all about and why teams even come together in the first place to achieve something And then once you get there, you have to cross the bridge to becoming a high-performance team. And the way that happens is when the leader invites conflict into the equation. Now, what I mean by that is that the leader is willingly open to being challenged about their ideas, that they're not saying it's my way or the highway. And when people are willingly listened to and they realize, oh my gosh, I had a better idea and that person acknowledged it, I'm going to be thinking of more ideas, that's respect, that's mutual respect, and when you have that, then you create contributors, and contributors then lead to the owners, which is what empowerment's all about, and when that, then the loop is complete, and now you're in the status of where you're building what I'd call an unstoppable team, and an unstoppable team is a force multiplier on the battlefield.
0: Well, I know what my next book's going to be. It's going to be called Unstoppable Teams, and I'm going to go buy that as soon as we get off the line today. Check it out. There's lots of good stories in there. I, I love leadership concepts. That's one thing you know. I, I always tell people in the beginning of their career is if you do want to get into management, you do want to get into leadership. Uh, start early. Uh, me, I waited you know 12, 13 years into my career before I started doing all the leadership lessons and stuff like that. Um, but it's definitely worthwhile. And read can't stress enough to find books like uh, Unstoppable Teams, which is now on my Amazon list. Find it, read it. Now, you said, was this your second book? Yeah. What was your first book?
1: First book is Be Unstoppable, The Eight Essential Actions to Succeed at Anything. And I had really written that book as a parable, um, as part parable and it was part just case letter and a just-in-case letter is something you write before you go off on a mission and you know should you come back on your shield they they want to have a a handwritten letter along with a flag handing to your next of kin and the trigger to write that book was a good buddy of mine was the first seal to die in afghanistan and i had often wondered what neil had written in his just-in-case letter to an 18-month-old son um, when I wrote my letters, my next of kin was my brother and my parents. I wasn't married, didn't have kids. So I went on a 10-year, it was a 10-year journey to write that first book. Um, but it's still kind of the apple in my eye, right? I only thought I'd ever write about, uh, or I'd publish about 100 copies. And then that would be the end of it. But then about 40,000 copies later, and published in multiple different languages, uh, be unstoppable. You'll see, will kind of it stands the test of time because it's all about persistence.
0: Now, you definitely don't uh, have a fear of putting out your knowledge and and talking about your lessons learned. I think a lot of us, you know, I'd say ninety nine percent of the people out there that listen to podcasts and especially podcasts like this are really in search of something. And a lot of that is knowledge and lessons learned. Um, these books sound really good. I really like this concept. You, but you've gone beyond books. And you're actually a keynote speaker, speaking all over the place. Did you ever have a fear of public speaking? Yes. So
1: first and foremost, every time I get on stage... It's a little bit like getting to the ramp at a C-130 doing a high altitude, low opening jump. Uh, and and I'll tell you why I make that distinction between that and a static line jump. You know, static line jumps, professionals pack your parachute. So I'm really confident of our professionals and how they pack. Um, I've never really even heard of a static line failure. However, me. I know I suck at folding things, and so when you have to do a high-altitude, low-opening jump, you have to pack your own parachute, and that's really terrifying to me, and every time I would do one of those jumps, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I wonder if I had packed that. Did I prepare it well enough? That's the same feeling I get every single time i walk on stage because every time i give a speech it's not canned it's tailored to the audience so i'm constantly preparing and prepping in much the same way you would before you take that jump and i always find that comforting over time that that fear is a good thing it keeps me focused and it keeps me on point so yes i've always had a fear of it but it's always overcome and you can use that fear to fuel you to perform even better.
0: I like that. It's a great concept because uh, if you don't have fear, then what's going on? Are you a psychopath?
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know the drill. I mean, if you yeah. end up going into battle with somebody who's like, yeah, I can't wait to get in there. I'm going to you know, kill commies for mommy kind of attitude. You're like, uh-oh, this is the wrong attitude. I do not want to be going into battle with somebody like this.
0: I'm going to shift gears a little bit and, you know, you do a lot of right now we're, we're doing things are a little bit different. Uh, But now we're talking about remote team management Mm -hmm. and it's tough leading from behind the screen because a lot of us are kind of in person. We want to talk. We want to really get the concept through. Do you have any advice for leaders or managers out there that are really, this is their first time doing a remote manager?
1: Very first thing
0: is focus on people's safety
1: and you can do exactly what we're doing right here. You know, you pick to do a video conference versus me just calling in. Mm -hmm. Always look at that tier first. The video, you can see more of someone's expression. We have an emotional connection when we have something that's visual. And then we have a lesser, but we still have emotional connection when you have tonality of the voice. The lowest on the bottom of the Uh, communication curve would be using email. Email is very difficult to pick up the nuances of communication. So when I bring that point up, that's the vehicle, video or phone, that I would use to first help people understand their safety needs. Safety during times of crisis or uncertainty is what everybody starts with right? They look inward. They go, oh my gosh, uh, what's happening to me? What's happening to my loved ones? And there's a scramble. It's almost as if you got an ambush of sorts, right? When the ambush occurs, the first thing we do after we kind of settle down with where we're pointing our weapon is, how's our team? Who's injured? What's going on? Where's the safety need, right? Once you can establish what people's needs are, their personal safety needs, then you can create a structure that gets them from thinking about themselves to thinking about others. And that is, I call that the three S's of dealing with crisis management. It starts with safety, then you build a structure or a bridge of structure, then helps them get to service. And once they start serving others, then they can start to feel more valued. And when they feel valued, then they serve even more. When people feel valued, like they're contributing and they're really helping, then they're not going to be worried about their own plight. They're going to be worrying about helping others out. And when that happens, then we're able to keep those demons of doubt, demons of depression at bay.
0: It always comes down to teamwork without question and caring for each
1: other right caring absolutely the leader the leader you've got to take the first step we're all built with care reciprocity mm-hmm. the large majority of us unless you're a psychopath and by the way there's a very very small amount of psychopaths. Yeah. <laughs> but uh when i say care reciprocity uh, this isn't alden coming up with this this is neuroscientists saying mm-hmm. look and here's the easiest way to explain care reciprocity I walk out of a grocery store, I hold the door for somebody behind me that somebody goes, oh, that was nice. I'll hold the door for the next person, right? So it doesn't necessarily that you're getting somebody to hold the door for you, but they're paying it forward. Mm -hmm. And that's what a leader is going to have to do because a lot of people won't trust somebody else in the beginning. So you're going to have to go out and put a whole series of logs of care on that fire before you can start feeling mm-hmm. the heat coming back right and so don't get discouraged by it it's a lot like working out right oh we're putting forth all this energy we don't see anything we don't see anything one day like oh my god i have lost a couple of pounds my you know my belt my pants are a little looser right that's that's about care based leadership that's yeah I talk about with unstoppable teams and when you're building remote teams, same things apply. Just don't just remember this. There is a huge difference between connectivity and connection. Here we are in the human race. We have the highest level of connectivity we've ever had, right? We've got a gazillion different ways to be connecting with people. However, what is also happening in this time of our highest levels of connectivity we also have the highest levels of suicide rate and addiction rates why because with connectivity we're actually getting less human connection so when you're dealing with remote you have to actually ramp up your abilities to connect at the human level That means starting to connect emotionally before you get to doing something transactionally.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up in the beginning too. you have to have a connection, but you also, you need that, that ripple effect really does work. You know, you hope you open a door for someone, they open it back for someone else. Pay it forward. That is, you know, something that really needs to get out there more is just simple acts of kindness really do help in the, the large scheme of things because everything can be tied down to a ripple effect i think
1: agreed you know much the same way jason what you're doing with this show right there is a piece of it that was selfish that in by the way every business i ever started there was a selfish piece and that selfish piece was okay i was passionate about fitness i was passionate about security i was passionate about pet food but the net the at the end of the day, passion isn't going to make up for it unless there isn't a purpose behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. And the purpose for you is, hey, I want to go out there and spread the love of what's going on with all these other first line responders out there. Mm-hmm. Of the different protectors that we have of this great country and share the love and remind people that not only are protectors, but also support them. Here's yeah. ways that you can learn from each other. Right. And that's yeah. putting your own care forward. Uh, it's part of the reason why I was willing to come on the show because I love people that do that kind of thing. The more we end up doing that, the more you'll find our country will just get better.
0: It will. You know, I, I ask for a lot of guests and sometimes I have to go through the publicists. And it's the, one of the first things they always ask is how many people listen or how many people view. And I always go, you know what? Um, maybe they're not the right audience. Maybe they're not the right guests that I want, because a lot of times like yourself and 99.9% of the guests I've had are out there to provide a message, to provide some sort of positivity, some sort of guidance, some sort of leadership, some sort of something like that. And that's why I really appreciate you coming on today. I really appreciate that.
1: Well, if you're really passionate about what you're doing, it shouldn't matter about how many guests you have. You want to know that the host is passionate about what they're doing. And no matter what the number is, you're much more focused on what the output is.
0: Yep. Alden, I appreciate it. Uh, Really appreciate you coming on today. Is there anything you'd like to uh, say for any last words for today?
1: Well, I just want to remind everybody, you call it a battle buddy. I call it a swim buddy. Remember this. We're all in this together. Uh, If anybody is looking for little words of wisdom or swim buddy pep talk, I do a daily Instagram. I do it six days a week at Alden underscore Mills. You can see it at Instagram TV, but also keep tuning in to what Jason is doing. I love what he's doing on this. And you have to always remember the big battle is always right between the ears. Own the mindset. Everything else will flow. Being unstoppable is a choice.
0: Absolutely is a choice. And reach out. Battle buddy, swim buddy, buddy. Thank you, Alden. Hey, you're welcome.